Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Heyo! Dr. Santos here, your pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. And last but not least, as always, this is Praz the Sandman, altering your brain waves using the radio waves. Oh, that would be fun anesthesia. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you could just yeah, point a radio at someone and just say count backwards from ten. <laughs> or, you know, you put on an episode of Welcome to Night Vale and, you know, they fall asleep themselves. That's what always does it for me. Making my job obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cecil. Although I I can't fall asleep to Cecil. I think his voice is more mesmerizing. Luckily, people are falling asleep to our voices, so Praz, you get to hold on to your job as an anesthesiologist. Wake up. Yes. Everybody wake up. Wake up! (laughs) Wake up! There's knowledge coming at you. If we turn into the shock jocks of medical medutainment. We did get formally recognized by the CDC on Facebook, so uh, I feel like we can feel a little bit cocky. Guys, listeners out there, I don't know if you know this, but we got... Uh, liked on our Facebook page by the CDC. Yeah, this is amazing. This might be the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know that, as always, when we take a long time to get around to the actual episode, that means it's a week for Journal Club. Yay! <laughs> and, I, as always, I do try and, and loop all the Journal Clubs around a theme, and there was a lot going on in the journals this week that was pulled straight from TV. So, this week's Journal Club is going to be all about Hollywood medicine. And not the kind you see them practicing in Hollywood, where it's just thump-thump, back to life, or one drug that can cure every disease. But no, actual medical devices developed that come straight out of Hollywood plots and ideas. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's life imitating fiction, and it's my absolute favorite because the mind of a good sci-fi writer is almost prophetic, right? Like this is how things mm-hmm. will be. So you start watching, you know, Gene Roddenberry Star Trek, or you read books by like Neil Stephenson, and the concepts are totally, totally rational. And you're like, oh my God, if we had that, that would be awesome. And then you, all you do is wait 15, 20 years. And, you know, some geeky science dude is like, I've always wanted one of those. So, you know, look forward to uh, lightsabers, I'm hoping. But here we should talk about more things that like heal rather than just cut off limbs, maybe. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about like giving life rather than just zing, zing, and then, oh, there's the arm off. And, no! Well, for those of you who would like to know more about the zing, zing aspects of medicine, may I refer you back to our several episodes on the uh, medicine of Star Wars. Oh, yeah, totally. Perfect to watch in time for The Last Jedi. Go back and listen. We'll wait. Yeah. Okay, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get right into our first story, which, especially coming off Star Wars, we have to, you know, bow down at the other altar of nerddom. You guys, the tricorder is a thing now. People have invented it. Wait, can I can I talk about what it is first, and then you can describe, like... How Take it away. Oh, yay! Okay, so, sorry, guys, I really love Star Trek. My wife's an aerospace engineer, and she got that way by watching uh, Jean-Luc Picard, who I'm not jealous of, um, in fact. Anyway, so the tricorder, if you see it, you you hold up a little device. You just hold it in the palm of your hand. It reads vital signs and everything that's going on in the body while you just kind of wave it over your patient. You don't nothing invasive, no needle going in, no read, nothing, nothing, nothing. You just wave it up and down, and you can read a little bit, some biochemistry, some physiology. You got blood pressure, heart rate, da 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 da. And this is the ultimate for doctors, just being able to see everything without harming the patient at all. Like the closest thing, obviously, this is a very ideal device that can just do everything. I mean, the closest thing anything has ever come to this is, I guess, our modern use of ultrasounds in medicine, which you still have to touch the patient with, but just by pushing a probe against someone's skin, you can get a lot of information about what's going on inside them and what's wrong with them. Still nothing even close to what this device would be able to do, though. Yeah, so it's it's just no touching, just... Boom, and then you get a readout in the palm of your hand. So the little tricorder collects the information and displays it for you all at the same time. Also was the inspiration for uh, smartphones. Oh, yeah. and uh, But the earlier ones where they flipped because the tricorder would flip open. In fact, almost all of your cell phones can be directly traced back in terms of their design and ancestry to Star Trek. <laughs> it totally much. can. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took a lot of inspiration from Star Trek. And the ones that can't are traced back to Zach Morris. <laughs> Time out! <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, affordable, portable, and easy-to-access healthcare devices and equipment is all the rage. And 
you know, because we do travel a lot. So you don't always want to bring, and you can't always bring, a fully staffed medical lab, drugs, diseases. So if you were able to take some device along with you that could provide, you know, early analysis of something, that would be ideal. And so a competition was created by, well, the XPRIZE Foundation. And they offered an award of $2.5 million to create a lightweight, non-invasive handheld device that can identify 13 different health conditions. So it specified in order to win the prize, it had to be able to identify 12 diseases and the absence of disease in 90 minutes, the 24 hours, with no additional help or counsel from medical professionals. All right, so I'm going to go back over that. In order to qualify to win, it had to be able to identify 12 different diseases. We'll go into them. It had to be able to identify the absence of disease or a healthy person. It had to do it in 90 minutes to a day, and it could not get any outside help, which means the tricorder can't Google anything. No WebMD. <laughs> right, no, uh, no Watson. Right. Now, in addition to all of that, it has to constantly monitor five vitals like heartbeat, respiratory function, things like that, that had to be monitored while and as part of the diagnosis. So this competition started back in 2012, and 10 teams originally made the cut out of a starting of 312 teams from 38 countries. Whoa. The, yeah. right? Yeah, this is, this is like bringing Trekkies together from all over the planet. I mean, it, it kind of shows you how far the reach of this singular TV show has, has gone. I'm so glad that you said that, Santosh, because as Trekkies go, the winning group is named Final Frontier Medical Devices. Woo! Oh, yeah. I love it. I'm not like super deep cut or anything, but very appropriate. So the device is nicknamed Dexter, or Diagnosis for ER, and it used a custom-built AI with non-invasive sensors to get a baseline report on the patient while comparing these states with a built-in encyclopedia of the most cutting-edge medical information from clinical databases. So not only is the AI they created complex enough to be able to accurately diagnose all 13 of the required medical conditions before the 24-hour time period, it can actually diagnose up to 34 conditions right now. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> In one little box. Above and beyond. Do you just want to list them off? There's 10 required core conditions and a choice of three elective conditions. So it wasn't totally locked in. Your device could identify, had to be able to identify anemia, Atrial fibrillation, okay. chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, okay. diabetes, leukocytosis, which basically is a high white cell count that indicates some kind of infection. Right, right. So just the mm -hmm. increased white cell count, sure, absolutely. Right. Pneumonia, otitis media, which is an ear infection, okay. sleep apnea, and a urinary tract infection, plus the absence of any of these conditions. Hmm. All right. Okay. So those were the ones, those are the core health conditions. Then there were three elective health conditions. You could choose any three of them that the device also had to be able to identify. Those included cholesterol screening, 
foodborne illnesses like any kind of E. coli based uh, from food or you know, Montezuma's Revenge. Sure. So some, and HIV screening. So tummy flu, okay, HIV screening, okay. High blood pressure, mm-hmm. hyper or hypothyroidism. Either or, okay. Mono, <laughs> shingles, strep throat, and pertussis. Okay, 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 gotcha. All right, not bad. They placed no restrictions on the physical appearance or functionality of the design. The only stated limit is that the mass of its components together, meaning all of the things that you need to put together to build this device that can do this, could not weigh more than five pounds. Whoa. Whoa. Like a laptop. That's, yeah, yeah, basically. yeah. Probably, yeah. Well, a laptop, so the lightweight laptops weigh about 2.6 pounds, so probably like a couple of those, like an older laptop. Yeah, like a CD player. Hmm. <laughs> oh, a what now? Or, or yeah, a Walkman or a tape deck. You still know what those are? For our listeners? No. no. <laughs> oh, I was so, so mad because I was looking over one of my regular etymology websites for, you know, common origins of, or origins of common unknown phrases. And they had the nerve to put in front of my own two eyes during my lifetime yeah. the the unknown rare phrase roll up the window and they're like card card devices used to have to be operated manually so when someone tells you to roll up the window and i was like you shut your goddamn mouth i rage i rage quit the site and i refuse to go back oh my god Um, i can't i can't i am an enemy uh i can see you I can see you screaming at your computer about that. <laughs> no! No! That is not an unknown phrase. That disappeared in my life. My my car, my first car that I still own, has roll-up yeah, windows. Yeah. Where your windows go up and down without a, without a button. You know. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. That's fine. I'm mad about it. I'll get over it. <laughs> We'll save it for the blooper reel because nobody needs no, no, to hear no, about my personal trauma. We went back to a, a computer with a CD in it, so probably you know a, a laptop from like 2012, 2013. That's a five pounder. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so it it really does. It looks the device itself looks like an iPad with several different yeah. attachments that can be placed on to achieve these different diagnostic so this, tools. These different right, diagnostic so this tools. should be noted that, you know, the the elegance of the tricorder as Dr. Beverly Crusher used it, and I'm, I'm sticking with the next generation here, and nuts to Dr. Pulaski, that was just, no. So <laughs> when she would use it, she would just wave the little tricorder or the wand in front of the patient, uh, we're not to that point in technology yet. So in terms of sensors for the heart, for pulse, they still have instruments that you stick onto the patient, which is still considered non-invasive. You're not putting a needle inside. You're not using a scope to go into a body cavity or anything like that. So I think they achieved the non-invasive part of it, but it's not exactly the way you're going to see it on TV. Nonetheless, I feel like Dexter is a medical device that will definitely help the world live long oh, and prosper. I love it. 
love it. There were no Vulcans in TNG, no. but that's okay. Yeah. You... The coolest fact is, Santosh, do you happen to know, and this might be a little bit too Trekkie nerd okay. for you, when the tricorder first appeared in the world of Star Trek? Like, when was it invented in that... Uh, I don't know star dates very well. No, no, I don't know the star date. Uh-uh. So it was invented in the 2230s, which means that humanity has managed to create the tricorder about 210 years ahead of schedule. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're catching up beautifully because, you know, we always saw tablet-based interfaces, you know, where someone would walk up to a touch screen with a touch screen to the captain and say, could you approve this, sir? And he'd tap on it, you know, just like an iPad. And, you know, that gap was significant as well. But I think we're, we're kind of accelerating. So as long as human innovation continues on this pace, we're going to catch up with Star Trek pretty quickly. Absolutely. So let's let's move on to our next story and boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> All right. In addition to Star Trek, another show very popular with people the world over, depending on which one of the multiple versions of it you watch, is Crime Scene Investigation. CSI, you know, fill in the city. Oh, okay. You guys didn't see it, mm -hmm. but right now, uh, Doctors Praz, Josh, and I all took off our sunglasses. Amazing. So, of course, in CSI, we see all sorts of crazy, you know, well, not really futuristic techniques, because now we've watched them done to death so many times that we're just like, eh, whatever, you know. You walk onto a crime scene, there's probably going to be sperm there. <laughs> just, just everywhere. <laughs> I want to tell you guys about a totally unrelated detective instance that I had. Now, you guys know I, I have a dog, right? A husky by the name of Cinnamon, who is adorable and a tiny oh, little demon. Very cute. And on one occasion, I had this long, drawn-out dream where Cinnamon and I were working on the police force, you know, CSI Los Angeles, CSI yeah, Chicago. Like right. Well, what made Cinnamon mm -hmm. such a special canine detective is this ability she had in the world of dreams where we would arrive on scene and I would tell her, Cinnamon, detect, and she would <laughs> urinate. And everywhere her urine touched, clues would just light up. <laughs> nice. Which was great until the following day when the dog peed right on my bed. And my brother's like, well, maybe she was just trying to be a good police dog. And <laughs> That's true. I... I bring this up because I want you to imagine a future where detectives looking for evidence in any kind of murder or violent investigation could just slap on a pair of rubber gloves that would light up when certain chemicals or substances were touched. Okay, all right. This So this is, yeah. you know, not even having to, like, take a sample and take it to the lab. Almost like litmus paper, right? It changes color. This is the rubber glove test. You know, you pull on a glove, you slide your finger along a surface, and then you check and see if your finger is glowing. You've touched something, well... You've touched something. <laughs> or something has touched you. Especially very similar to the uh, date rape nail polish that's been coming out, if you've heard yeah, about this. Yeah, so this is very similar to that, Praz, but originally it was like a little piece of paper or something that you could dip into an alcoholic drink, and it would de detect specifically 
the presence of rohypnol. Right. This was not a nail polish meant to encourage no. <laughs> date rape, but to prevent it. The rapiest nail polish ever. <laughs> so scientists at MIT have just created an early version of this technology called the Living Sensor, which... Hats off, scientists. You finally found a good name you for know, something. I... In a paper published in Proceedings of the National Academy yes. of Science, MIT... I can't believe I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Shame on me. Yes, is the best. <laughs> I just saw it now. <laughs> I, am, I am ashamed of myself for not picking up on that. Or I just I let the penis no, sail right is, by me. Maybe we should stop because <laughs> I mean some of us actually want to join the academy someday. But uh, no, no, okay, okay. If you elect me, I promise I'll stop. <laughs> You'd like to be a penis member? <laughs> All right. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. So the MIT team created a new hydrogel. It's made up of about 95% water bonded to a layer of rubber that's then injected with a strain of E. coli cells that are programmed to react when they come in contact with certain chemicals by glowing. So the reaction between these cells, the E. coli cells in this hydrogel, and whatever different materials can be made to react with it will cause the cells to glow. Well, what do you have when you have a rubber that will light up? That's a glove. Yeah, you just uh, you shape it into the, yeah. the you know the, the kind of form that you want. And in this case, why not just put it straight on your hand so that you don't have to worry about picking up the sample and applying it to the hydrogel. You just have the hydrogel right there on your hand. Now, the interesting thing is this early version has been done more with E. coli, because it is one of the most, most ubiquitous, ever-present bacteria, and most of its forms are not harmful to humans. It's not, even though we do get infected with E. coli, E. coli also live in us, and we have a very good overall relationship yeah, with them. Yeah, from and from a historical so, perspective, it's one of the kind of the most ancient little tools of microbiology that we have. So we have E. coli engineered for every stinking purpose. Um, it's been well studied, and, and we know how to work with it for decades and decades. Now, the basic design and the real breakthrough was not in creating glowing E. coli, because we've been able to make bacteria glow yeah. for <laughs> years, but it was in creating this basic mix of a gel and water compound that is actually very stretchy and resistant to cracking. So it can be fashioned into gloves or bandages. So imagine, you know, Homer Simpson wearing gloves and helps a nuclear engineer realize when he's touched toxic sludge before he grabs that donut. Or a doctor puts a bandage on, and the if the wound is infected around the edges, the bandage itself will light up. So the material itself is transparent, and you can inject any number of bacteria so not just e e right now they're testing E. coli, but they could test other bacteria that could light up in the presence of different conditions. So it's a lot of really exciting, very, very early stuff, but straight out of Hollywood again, you know, real forensic science. Yeah, it's, it's really, really gorgeous. And the fact that you can take material science like hydrogels, which can bend, stretch without cracking and merge it with biochemistry and microbiology wherein the E. coli change colors 
in response to specific chemical markers. That's a beautiful marriage. And I, I think this is going to move to market fairly quick as long as, and this is really important, this is used as kind of a screening tool for now. Um, rather than trying to use it as a, oh, for sure there's blood on that site, um, you know, you can kind of graze the sample and say, I think it's there, and then you bring it back to the lab for further conformatory testing. That would be the best way to do it. Right, and you know we do love our, our space episodes, and there's every possibility that this could also eventually be worked into astronaut gloves so they can conduct samples just by walking around planets and going, no, <laughs> <laughs> like right on the nose of an alien. Are you alive? Oh, yes, yep. you are. Oh, I guess so. I just want to... <laughs> I just want to boop Yo. Mars. That would be That's the hardest thing, like just you booping Mars like that. Oh. Right? I just want to be up on Mars with the Curiosity rover and just go boop and see oh, something light that up. That would be very, very cute. We have a lot of work to go before I can just casually walk around booping <laughs> things in space. Yes, yes. The You have to make sure to lab test the E. coli again, again, again. Make sure that their signal is specific enough and it doesn't light up for, you know, any old thing, but it... it really lights up in a specific manner that it doesn't escape the material that the material really can be shaped and finally you know the biggest part of this and i think praz you're most familiar with this because you're in the or where you have people bringing you surgical tools to test but it has to be cheap enough and usable enough to implement in the field because if you have a prototype that works kind of okay but it's like five hundred thousand dollars a glove it's not gonna go i mean everything these days is all about cost effectiveness especially in the operating room with everything else um i mean in the end of the day like if something is that expensive and it can't be used in the general public then it's not going to gain a following and the whole idea is for it to be used like almost ubiquitously you know Our yeah, engineers, yeah. go out there. Make it cheap. Well, let's move on to our, our next one. Uh, let's see. What other Hollywood things can I draw on? Well, you guys know I have a healthy both love and fear of, of robots, <laughs> right? I don't trust uh, robots themselves because of their artificial intelligence and Skynet sure. and things like that. At the same time, I am totally willing to become a cyborg. <laughs> no, I, it's a I real dilemma. I've had many discussions about you kind of... Uh, sending your consciousness into the cloud, like the digital cloud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because for yeah. me, I think when I talk about, you know, making myself a cyborg, I, I think we all know I'm picturing just steampunking myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it can't be like an elegant cyborg where it looks as close to human tissue as possible. And, you know, it's no, 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 no. Straight right, out of the uncanny right. so valley. It's, it's got to have, you know, valves that you can see and, uh, you know, nuts and bolts. It's got to be slightly Frankensteinian. But I have to tell you, our next story is not one story, but it's a collection of several that have been... I keep seeing them come up and float around my my awareness, and then I never get a chance to cut them before something else okay. comes up. So our next one is going to be about all the new organs that we are managing 
to simulate. And a lot of these are robotic, like there's some robotic artificial lungs that are being made. Um, there's, of course, the robotic heart. We did talk in earlier episodes about you know, learning to grow hearts out of spinach cells, which is more plant-based than cybernetic, but it takes a lot of working parts to keep these things together. So we have at this time invented, although not readily available, robotic lungs, hearts, eyes, a whole bunch of cybernetic organs, or as I like to call them, <laughs> cyborgs. <laughs> oh, but are, are you the, guys, right? are, 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 are the researchers listening? Come on, we're giving these names to you for free. Just take them. <laughs> I mean, it almost sounds like Sheboygan, like in New Jersey. <laughs> so, you know, like if you had just the right <laughs> accent, you'd be like, I got my new Sheboygan. Well, the newest artificial organ, although not strictly a robotic one that has been developed, is a thymus. A thymus is a gland that is essential to your immune system. It creates T cells. That's a type of white blood cell that helps you get rid of viruses, bacterial infections, and cancer cells, and T cells mature in the thymus. So when people get sick or as they age, the thymus just gets worse at its job. So different types of cancer don't necessarily produce the right or enough amount of T cells. So there are immunotherapy treatments, but researchers at UCLA have now managed to create artificial thymic organoids that create T cells from stem cells. So how did they do it? Well, they inserted a gene using CRISPR for cancer-fighting receptors into blood cells. So that means the little artificial organs will only produce cancer-specific T cells. They won't care about viruses. They won't care back about bacteria. They just go to attack the dead <laughs> cells. Now, because other types of T cells could accidentally target and attack healthy tissue, these results are really positive because if we can create specific T cells and turn off others, cancer cells can be targeted and you can just have a cancer-fighting organ implanted in your own body. So this was published in Nature and they're now investigating doing this technique with stem cells that can become anything. So not just immune cells, but you can insert these little artificial organoids as factories to create anything you may be lacking, and of course, the big eye is towards reducing the cost of cancer yeah. treatments. Oh yeah, go ahead, Preston. So, who's, I was going to say, um, one thing that I've been thinking of in the back of my head, uh, where do they get the stem cells for this? Is it just the standard stem cells that they use for research? Well, when you say standard stem cells for, for research, we that could lead us down a really long discussion about where stem cells for research come from. Right. But, but stem, um, cells used, stem cells used in research are called pluripotent, meaning they can have the power to become multiple things, and they usually come from embryonic stem cells. Now, that doesn't mean any babies have been harmed in the making of these cells. Normally, they're pulled from the umbilical cord or cord blood uh, in, you know, or as part of newborn testing, you may take a few cells and save yeah, them from later. Um, this is actually a very uh, wonderful donation that anyone can make, is that when their babies are born, and especially if they're healthy, you clip the umbilical cord and then you cut it, and there's still a lot of blood in there, and a lot of those blood cells are immature. They're progenitor cells. And you can actually, in a place like UCLA, or if you're at an academic center, 
you can tell your obstetrician or the nurses ahead of time and say, please donate those cells. And they can actually take them and they'll cryopreserve them, they'll save them on ice, and they'll give them to the research labs to use. And it's um, a, an extremely generous donation, but it helps in a huge way because these cells are extremely precious. Now, other than deriving stem cells from embryos or eggs, there is also a technique known as induced pluripotent cells, or IPS, and that's where scientists have discovered a way to take an ordinary cell, like a skin cell, and reprogram it back into a stem cell, or in comic parlance, <laughs> retcon, retroactively, retroactive continuity, retcon the cell back into a stem cell, and this was first accomplished in Boston names the breakthrough of the year in 2008. So we can actually take cells from people and turn them back into stem cells. It's more expensive, but it has much less ethical concerns to genetically reprogram your own cells than to take them from embryos, no matter how they're obtained. People seem to have yeah, less if, concern about uh, it. you guys are more into movies than you are into comic books, um, I'll say you Benjamin Button the cells. You start off as a fully mature, you know, whatever specialized cell, and you Benjamin Button all the way back to a cell that could one day become anything. Yeah, so stem cells aren't just for babies anymore, or just from babies. We can get them from a variety of sources, meaning it's a lot easier to do research on them. So as I said, the most the the most recent one that caught my eye was the creation of an artificial thymus, because that is biological engineering, along with our ghost heart from spinach that we've covered. But there's also a whole bunch of cybernetic organs to talk about, cyborgans, and I believe, Santosh, you had come across uh, one that made me giggle. All right, guys. We did a whole episode that Dr. Josh and I could not stop laughing through about a robot penis. I want to I, I want to introduce you <laughs> because ladies we're all about equality on Travel Medicine Podcast. A robot vagina. <laughs> I don't know why that needed a, anyway. So yeah, Josh just finished talking about taking cells and bioengineering them to become thymic cells so that you can actually use this new artificial thymus as a place for T-cells to mature. So you can actually program the T-cells with a little bit more finesse right there in the lab. But sometimes you need to do things on a completely separate model so that, uh, for instance, you don't need to sacrifice a mouse uh, you know, in order to learn about ovulation or menstrual cycle or the progress of disease. Um, you want to actually just simulate uh, an organ on like a robotic surface. So, <laughs> wait. So you're saying you just want to simulate a vagina? <laughs> Isn't that what red tube is for? Listen, I, okay. <laughs> I usually tell people I want you to go out and Google this. Please don't Google artificial vagina, um, younger listeners. Please don't Google artificial vagina. And you're not going to find this article. It's in the show notes. So just, you will, uh, however, just, get an education. Just use the show notes. Yes, you, <laughs> yes. 
Of course, you all have to be honest, and if you're under the age of 18 and they ask, please yeah. click that you are under the age of 18. It'll take you away from there. It'll redirect you to the Disney site. It'll be fine. <laughs> or age appropriate so, sites. No, no. These are all simulated organs that can be used mostly for research where you can simulate disease um, of a particular organ without having to put in danger for instance, an animal model like a mouse or a rat or a rabbit. And we've had a hard time actually understanding disease. Uh, <laughs> we've had a difficult time in research <laughs> understanding disease in the female reproductive tract. We've had a tough time. So. Uh, the people over at Northwestern, headed up by Dr. Teresa K. Woodruff. Oh my God, now you've got me in a giggle loop. All respect to Northwestern and Dr. Teresa Woodruff. At Northwestern, she invented a vagina plus fallopian tubes and ovaries. Uh, on a chip or a tablet. So this is a little multiple unit microfluidic platforms. Yes, I know I said unit. <laughs> and it simulates the in vivo female reproductive <laughs> tract and the endocrine loops between organ modules for like the ovary, the fallopian tube, uterus, cervix, and actually even the liver, which is very important for the hormonal um, kind of ins and outs of the tides of the, of the female cycle. So you have sustained circulation uh, between all the tissues, and using this setup, it looks nothing like an actual vagina <laughs> or uterus or fallopian tubes, but you can actually study a model of uh, disease in the female reproductive tract uh, right there. And so you can change the parameters in order to simulate, for instance, like cancer, inflammation, or maybe how the sperm moves through the reproductive tract to reach the egg. Um, and you can do this all without having to you know, harm an animal. So, you know, all these organs are coming out piece by piece. <laughs> and Dr. <laughs> Dr. Woodruff and her team are coming up with a way to put all these technologies together, wire together an entire human body via chips. And uh, this, the entire system is called uh, CHIP. <laughs> and uh, I'll give uh, Dr. Josh the, uh, the link to put in the show notes. And you guys can go look at CHIP and see all of the organs that he has so far, or she has so far, and what they're still endeavoring to create. So eventually, robot overlords, or if you're listening to this in the future, we did this for medical science, so if you don't like it, we're sorry. So please remember us when you're yeah. busy enjoying <laughs> robosex. That's true, too. <laughs> Your love, uh, love. That's true. For the love of God, do not Google no, anything we've said in the last five minutes. <laughs> just click the link we provided for you. To like, you know, we're we're giving robots like vaginas and penises, and then we, there's other teams like elsewhere teaching robots how to feel shame. <laughs> these poor robots, like the whole no, point of robots is like they don't have to go through the, all the messy stuff of humanity and then we're totally like, no, if you're going to be a robot, you're going to feel all of our feels. And, 
So, <laughs> like, you're going to get horny and get embarrassed. So, sorry, robots. It's all our fault. We're bad masters. Moving on to the next. For those of you who aren't familiar with Doctor Who, I'm going to ask Pras and Santosh, two very casual watchers of the show at best, what are two devices you immediately associate with Doctor Pras, Who? Pras, you want to go first? I was going to say a cell phone. Oh, no. Oh, okay. So Pras doesn't watch Doctor Who at all. Okay, uh, I'm uh, going to go with uh, something that you get into. Uh, so that's the TARDIS. And then I think of mm-hmm. one of yours and your brother Brian's favorite is the sonic screwdriver. That's right. The sonic screwdriver. The all-purpose, every tool that solves every one of Doctor Who's problems from analyzing devices to opening doors to really anything the writers yeah. need it to do. It's, it's the Superman of tools. Basically, what? as soon as it needs to do something... And physicists have invented one. You're kidding. A sonic So the sonic screwdriver is a tool used in the show Doctor Who that can scan and identify matter, among other functions. It's, it's the British version of the tricorder. Nice. But lead researcher, Dr. Marcus Doherty from the Australian National University, <laughs> ANU, nice. <Very> nice. <laughs> had proven the concept of a diamond-based quantum device that can now do a full chemical analysis that basically it, it smashes together a molecular MRI machine and a mass spectrometer by putting a tiny piece of a diamond on top of a sound wave generating device and it would use tiny defects in the diamond to measure the mass and chemical composition of molecules with advanced techniques that are borrowed from atomic clocks and the Large Hadron Collider, which detected gravitational waves earlier this year. So for mass spectrometry, when a molecule attaches to the diamond device, the mass would change, which would change the frequency. They measure the change in frequency using known defects in the diamond. They're also looking at how magnetic fields in the molecule will influence the defects as well. This is so beyond exciting to my level of nerdery that... They have created a working prototype of a sonic screwdriver that really can identify and interact with the world simply based on very minuscule sound waves and the reactions Yay. of those sound waves to things. That's so awesome. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's what this you know. You really do. It is absolutely fantastic with super cheesy special effects. <laughs> Now, our last story of the night isn't necessarily one straight out of Hollywood, or it is only a sense that so much of Hollywood deals with mental health. We have movies like Girl Interrupted or the television show Legion, um, all looking at different things that happen with mental health and ways of addressing it. Some people do mutant powers. Some people go on, you know, round-the-world journeys like Julia Roberts in Eat, Pray, Love. Some people, you know, slaughter large space bugs like in Starship Troopers. Now, if you're fighting giant space bugs, that might cause you a little bit of trauma. You know, a little bit of post-traumatic stress disorder, watching your your teammates (laughs) torn apart. Our last Hollywood story is a surprisingly new development from a surprisingly old drug. Santosh, you are an infectious disease doc and Starship Troopers lover. Do you want to yeah, talk about I'd this story? Yeah, I'd absolutely love to. Uh, I want to tell you guys that 
when we have a medication, we don't always know what all the effects are, okay? Full disclosure, we try very, very hard before we start administering it and approving it through the FDA and even doing research far after approval that we figure out all the little mechanisms of everything. But sometimes we find a little side effect that we just don't understand. As a prequel to the story I'm about to present, I want to give you guys an awesome story. In 2012, I believe, and there is no treatment, good treatment for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also called Lou Gehrig's disease. And there still isn't, but there were pharmacists that were asked to go out and say, listen, we've got absolutely nothing for ALS. Just throw everything that you have at it and just see what sticks. And lo and behold, a researcher out in Boston actually found that ceftriaxone, an antibiotic, when given to healthy individuals with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, this, this medication, ceftriaxone, which is supposed to be used for bloodstream infections and really nasty infections, when it was given to people with ALS, they looked like they got a little bit of perk, a little bit of energy. And indeed, it was true. There was a psychological effect of this older medication, ceftriaxone, on the brain. They trialed it to see if it actually had you know, an effect on the process of ALS, which is a degenerative disease of the nerves. But unfortunately, it didn't pan out. It just kind of had a, you know, it, a psychiatric effect. It, it actually worked on the brain and made people feel a little bit better. Well, doxycycline, another antibiotic, um, also has some psychic effects. It, it can cause nightmares sometimes. Uh, if it's taken, you know, as a malaria prophylaxis, it can cause bad dreams. And it's not supposed to be used traditionally for people who normally have anxiety. But lo and behold, we found a molecular connection between post-traumatic stress disorder and the molecule that doxycycline works on. And some very innovative physicians said, let's try a, just a study to see if the administration of doxycycline alleviates some of the symptoms of PTSD in the target population. And it was given for seven days uh, to, the, to the target population. It worked. It worked beautifully. Um, the people who received the doxycycline felt significantly better in terms of their symptoms of PTSD than those who did not receive it. So they took 76 healthy people and assigned them to receive either doxycycline at a standard antibiotic level dose or a placebo, which is a sugar pill, which I call Flintstone vitamins. The trial was double blind, so neither the participants nor the investigators knew right, who so took which pill. Patients would all have assigned numbers, you know, that, that would go in, and then the packets of pills would be, you know, disguised so that they looked exactly like the placebo or a close enough approximation, and they would just be given packet like A, B, C, D, etc., like that. And then you would just say, for instance, Patient number five took packet F, and there would be somebody else entirely separate that would be responsible for assigning the letters to the patients and to 
the packets, whether it was a placebo or it was doxycycline. And then at the end, everything was revealed so that you could actually do the analysis. Now, once patients took the pill, regardless of what it was, they then took a computer test, which would just show a screen color like blue or green or red that was followed by a mildly <laughs> painful electric shock in another color that wasn't. Hmm. No, do they do this in rats? They do. And they also do it in people. Oh. You have to give a lot of disclosure and make sure everyone is uh, prepared for it. And it, it, it's... Here's a pill that may or may not help you. Now look at this <laughs> color. And it's not a, uh, a harmful amount of electricity. Well, it was That's not a dangerous amount. It was definitely a shocked. harmful. <laughs> yeah. Noticed when you got shocked. Absolutely. Yeah. So they were basically creating a fear response to mimic PTSD. So it, this actually, this fear response is a pretty sensitive measure for memory of negative associations. And we've demonstrated that multiple times since the very first paper on it in 1951. Now, when they, so a week after getting shocked by seeing this color, the same participants returned to the lab, and this time they were shown the same colors again 40 times. And when the danger colors came up, they were followed by a very loud sound, but not by shocks. The loud sounds in association with the colors made people startle and blink their eyes. And they then measured the activity of the ring muscle that closes the eye to quantify the response. So that eye blink response is a very traditional fear response. And they said that 60, the response was 60% lower in all the patients who were given doxycycline. So this is going to be a long leap before we can give this to, you know, soldiers in combat situations. But what we have learned is that there is definitively a drug that can lessen the formation right, of the so fear response. Just so that everybody understands, these participants were healthy individuals, and they actually underwent kind of psychological screening before they were brought in. These people did not actually have PTSD. Not at the beginning of the study. Not at the beginning. It's <laughs> actually put in a fear response. So they conditioned them to be afraid of something. And then they tried to see if the that fear response would, would take or stick after a certain period of time. And it was rather a short term, right, Josh? It, you know, you, you they ingested the medication or the placebo. And I think the fear response was tested hours after. Hours and then again a week later to confirm. In a very short period of time. So, you know, the the ultimate leap you want to say is that you can take uh, a molecule like doxycycline. We would hope that we could find out what specifically about it actually helps with the fear response so that we could actually change it so it wasn't an antibiotic. Picture the Simpsons. With uh, Marge and Homer trying to baby-proof the house. And Homer's like, oh, I'll just draw bunnies on all the electric sockets. And Marge says, well, Ma Maggie's not afraid of bunnies. And Homer, in true scientist fashion, looks up and goes, she will be. Exactly. Just, yeah, that's, that's the bad way to do it. But, yeah, you, you do want to be able to use the knowledge of biochemistry along with the analysis from these kinds of studies to engineer a drug that can act on your target in the brain, but not actually have antibiosis. 
meaning that you don't want to start killing off good bacteria in the people's mouth and gut because you know you don't want to cause one disease while treating another which is what would happen if you just gave doxycycline without illness so that brings us to the conclusion of this week's journal club with hollywood med you know all the exciting things that we are taking from and i can only imagine what new technology we're going to invent in the future uh, particularly from the Fast and the Furious and Guardians of the Galaxy films. I think those are the next big oh, I think sources of inspiration. Be absolutely awesome, and especially if we can come up with space. Design. When do we oh. get an Infinity Stone? That's what I forget. Flying cars. I want. I want an Infinity um, Stone. I'm gonna go ahead and vote that if there is something that can um, destroy life or manipulate time. We not give that to Dr. Josh. <laughs> not, you are no I'm fun. still alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, that means it is time for our Just the Tip. Now, I have sent our, our travel correspondent out to gather a few more stories for upcoming episodes. But in the meantime, once again, I believe... Praz, you are going on a vacation very soon and to a destination that I cannot stop harassing you about. So, why don't you tell me what you're planning to do, and then I'll tell you what you should do instead. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, this trip is multifaceted. I will be going very soon on my honeymoon. Uh, in the next couple of days, I'll That's be so belated honeymoon. Yes, thank you, thank you. Sorry, ladies, I'm, I'm taking um, so I'll be I'll be going to two cities in Indonesia, Borobudur and the more well-known city of Bali, where we'll just be relaxing and enjoying beach weather and tropics and trying to regain whatever energy we've lost through the wards and the operating rooms and the units. And then the last part of the trip, which Josh is taking a particular interest in, is, do it. <laughs> There's a couple of days that we were planning on spending in Singapore. Basically visiting one of my wife's close friends and, you know, experiencing Singaporean cuisine and whatever else there may be to do in the city of Singapore. <laughs> There's only one thing to do in Singapore, and it's go to the zoo. Josh, did you have something to say? <laughs> I've heard a lot about the zoo. <laughs> There's only okay. Look, look, look. Go eat some Hainan chicken and rice in the market. Anthony Bourdain talked about it. There's a great stand. It's delicious. Then forget your wife's friend and go to the zoo. I, I can tell you've been waiting to talk about this for this entire show so badly. Do you have an opinion on this? Sir? Now, I many a year ago when I was in a relationship and also ended up in Singapore. We visited the Singapore Zoo, and while the girl herself is gone, the loving memories of the zoo remain and comfort me in the dark hours of the night. I, um, I don't know if we can talk. There is... Is the FCC going to come down on us for something you're about to say? <laughs> Are we going to get reclassified, Josh? So, the Singapore Zoo... <laughs> I love zoos, all right? You all know it. So what makes the Singapore Zoo so incredibly special or different? Well, there's two of them, the day zoo and the night zoo. As you all know, most animals, largely nocturnal. So when you go to the zoo during the day, you see a lot of lions just sleeping, you know, 
rhinos who may be standing in corners, meerkats who are just, you know, hanging out, playing cards, Netflix and chilling, but not a lot of activity. Well, the Singapore Zoo combats this in a couple different ways. One, they have a totally separate night zoo, which is all the animals' evening enclosures, that you can go on a tour and see them all in their most natural, active, you know, habits. Night comes up, the animals go out, they wander, they hunt, they socialize, they Facebook, they do whatever it is animals do, and it's all in a night enclosure so you can see how active they are. But in case that's not enough or in case you can't stay through to the night because, I don't know, you have a wife friend to visit or something, you can go to the regular day zoo and the day zoo has a zookeeper who walks around on a snack trail. Not for people. He carries a giant bucket of meat and goes to different animals who are normally nocturnal and says, hey, it's the 2 o'clock snack time and the animals have learned this. So you will see a cheetah come running at the enclosure knowing, oh, it's steak time, gonna get a steak, gonna get a steak, gonna get a steak. And he will wander from carnivore encampment to carnivore exhibit handing out little snacks for the animals to make them more active for you. While all this is going on, several of the monkey cages have large, essentially telephone poles that allow them to climb high above the park and a series of vines and wires that crisscross above the park that allow the apes to wander the zoo in the skies so they can look at not only other exhibits outside of their enclosure, but also look at people. So the animals get to wander around the zoo and get snacks as well, just like most humans do. They also have a breakfast with orangutans, which is pretty cool. I could go on about this zoo for a while, but I won't because we're running into our time limit. Uh, well, Josh really needed to get this out, and um, it's very good advice that I'll consider very seriously. It makes the San Diego Zoo look like a pile of garbage, and I love the San Diego Zoo. Strong endorsement, a very strong endorsement, I have to say. So go out, enjoy your honeymoon, but for the love of your wife, take her to the zoo. She needs to see this. It's full of amazing animals and knowledge. And all right, I'm gonna stop episode. I don't know what to do. To come back and wife to be like, you don't get to hang out with Josh anymore. <laughs> I don't know what that maniac <laughs> Zeus <laughs> I'm never going back there again <laughs> and you don't get to hang out with Josh anymore <laughs> so guys that's our show as always we love to hear your questions comments concerns and feedback it would be fantastic if you could support us spiritually emotionally and financially the links to do all of those things are in the show notes with our Twitter page our Facebook page our Square space page and our patreon page a donation of as little as one dollar a month will get you access to bonus content on a regular basis where we get to have even more fun than we do here our theme music is composed by rachel leisure the show is produced by me with a lot of help from all our co-hosts and guests and until next time as always happy travels happy travels everybody bye guys Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.